This week on the one and only episode one of You Masterclass, you're going to get to know the hosts, myself and Eleanor, what we love about movies, some of our favorites you should check out, and a whole lot more. Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of You Masterclass, a film studies podcast where the only prereq is loving movies and wanting to talk about them. We are your hosts. My name is Christian Buckley, joined across the internet by... Um, I'm Eleanor Rose. I'm excited that we're finally getting to do this. Yeah. We worked with Daniel Pope of the Film Studies at UMass to put together a show where the highlight, the focus, and mainly the drive behind it is students at the university that really just love movies. So basically what this show is, is the two of us, a rotating panel in the future, where you're going to see faculty on the show, you're going to see grad students, people who love movies, who can celebrate movies, talk about the industry together. Season one is going to have a few different episodes. It's the first one. But first off, I think it's worth addressing that neither of us are at the university right now. We are at home quarantining uh, in this new era, adjusting to life. And Eleanor, for you as a film fan, as a filmmaker, how has it been adjusting? Um, it's actually been okay because it's a good time to watch a lot of films. So I've been watching more movies than during my usual life. But um, yeah, I'm adjusting okay with film and stuff. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. We were talking a bit before the show just about uh, the types of movies that people could be watching right now. And something that I really enjoyed about talking with you so far is just the differing perspectives, but also we land on the same side when it comes to talking about movies. I think that it's something to have fun with and be celebrated and bring a variety of different viewpoints to the table. So it, it it's interesting talking about it in the sort of mindset of being on a podcast because there's a certain level that's expected as a film study student and also a certain level that's expected as someone discussing film. But I think between both of us and tell me if I'm in looking in a different direction here, it's like just cutting through most of the random jargon and just having a discussion with someone about a movie. Yeah. That's how I feel about it too. Cause, um, I don't have, I'm, I'm just starting to study film, so I'm not an expert in any way. I'm a BDIC student. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm majoring in activist filmmaking through the bachelor degree in individual concentration. But mm -hmm. yeah, um, it's, interesting because I'm making my own um, curriculum because they currently are just starting to introduce the idea of having it there. Put, having most of the decision making in your own hands in working with the faculty at UMass and staff, do you think the way that you're learning about movies and finding new things about movies you love has been changing on a filmmaker side? Like, Do you think you're appreciating the more technical aspects because you're working on films rather than listening to lectures about films? Yeah, well, I've always paid attention mostly to the um, sets and costumes in films just because I'm a visual artist. Like, before I thought of being a film major, I was thinking of just being an art major at UMass. Um, mm -hmm. So what I typically look at is, like, those kind of things. And as I'm making my own movies I'm now more focusing too on like the cinematography and um, like editing that goes into it um, just so I can learn from that and try to incorporate that into my film so it's more than just um, visually pleasing I guess um, and more than just the set. I've also been taking film analysis classes and um, that's been helping me like kind of think more about like plot and narrative aspects of movies because that's not usually something I pay attention to as much yeah. as the visual aspects. Yeah, I totally get that because I think we're going to get into a deeper discussion about our history with film uh, later in the show, but I think there was an era 
of myself, like late high school, when I really started to like movies more, where it was a visual thing. And I do think because of UMass and because of the classes that I took that did look into, like you said, film analysis or film criticism uh, with Daniel Pope, I've taken classes with him, really looking at a structure of a movie uh, narratively, plot-wise, as well as sort of film history. So I do think the classes and sort of mix of hands-on and lecture material that the university has given me, I totally agree with you that it is a progression of peeling back the layers of films and finding different things, not only in new films you watch through these courses, but also looking back at some of your favorites. If you're coming to the show and you follow film, you're a fan, maybe you like the Oscars every year, and that's how you get a lot of recommendations for films that aren't big blockbusters. You probably know some of the best picture winners. Maybe you've seen some of them. So I pulled the best picture winners for 2011 to 2020, and we're going to run through each of them. We're just going to briefly say whether we saw them or not, just to get a sense of what kind of films grab our attention. So Eleanor, starting with, let's start with 2020, and we can go back in time. Okay. Parasite. I saw it, but very late, after the yes. Oscars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I saw Parasite as well. Um, loved it, big fan. Me too. Like, and really, really good, and I think it definitely deserved to win. I was a big fan as well. Um, it's It's really great to see admittedly very late, but seeing the Academy actually recognize um, an international film on this stage mm-hmm. and what a one to pick because just the quality of it was great. I know some people that have shown it to their families that typically wouldn't watch a film like that and they loved it as well. So it is a cool way to see the Oscars spotlighting. It was um, also such like, well, to me, just like, I guess the meaning behind all of it, kind of, like, especially in 2020 to see the, I I don't know if we can talk about this on the, well, no, I can talk, can I talk about politics on the podcast at all, or do we have to keep it? Okay, just, um, just seeing the people that have been mistreated by the system that's in place, and, like, everything with, um, I guess the political like revolution we're starting to see around like Bernie Sanders and stuff, even though I know he's not in the race anymore, but just, I don't know. It was about killing the rich people, (laughs) I guess in the end, but I know that's like an extreme of what it actually is, but just like people taking responsibility for their actions and how they mistreat others in society and use their labor for their gains. But yeah, that's why I loved Parasite and also the gore in some parts, um, which I personally love gore in movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure by the end of this episode, we're going to have a good sense of the types of movies you look at. <laughs> um, 2019, last year, Green Book won. I did not see it. Me either. 2018, The Shape of Water. I, I did see it on a plane, and that's the reason I watched mm. it. I wouldn't have watched it if I wasn't on a plane. Interesting. Um, I yeah, I, I did see this, uh, enjoyed it. Um, Guillermo del Toro, love him. He's one of my favorite working directors. I don't think it's my favorite thing he's done, but it was really, honestly, as a fan of him, it felt good to see him recognized on this stage, personally. Yeah, I feel like I was glad it won just because it was a very like weird movie, and I'm always a fan mm. of those getting attention, I guess. 2017, we have uh, Moonlight. I haven't seen it, but I want to. Because I... Wow, okay. Possibly I've heard it's a good movie. Right? Moonlight? Yeah, Moonlight is one of my favorite movies of the decade. I love that film. Um, Highly recommended. And honestly, might bring it up again later in the show. (laughs) Okay, cool. Yeah. I will definitely watch it. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Um, 2016, we have Spotlight. Oh, I think I saw this. Did this have Mark Ruffalo? It did, yes. My parents were watching it, and I caught, like, glimpses of scenes and watched, like, maybe half of it. And I really liked it, but I'd never have watched the whole film. 
Nice. Yeah, this is one I haven't seen. Um, there wasn't any reason behind it, me not seeing it, but um, yeah, it's one that I'd still like to check out eventually, but... Yeah, I think it it's definitely, like, a very, like, dark movie because of the subject in it, but it was mm-hmm. um, really well done, and um, I would recommend watching it, yeah. 2015, we have Birdman. I haven't seen it, but I feel like I should. Birdman is an interesting one. I, I did see this. It's It makes a stance on popular film, specifically superheroes and the Marvel craze, in that uh, the main character is a washed-up actor who used to play a superhero and creates this uh, this play sort of about dealing with that fame, and it's very existential and surreal. It's definitely worth watching, I think, just from a visual aspect even. It's all made to look like it's one shot. Um, so I can recommend Birdman. Okay, cool. 2014, we have 12 Years a Slave. I haven't seen it. and I f- This is also one I haven't seen. Yeah, I feel like it, I should watch it. Mm-hmm. I definitely remember, though, when it w- was out. Yeah, me too. I think I was also not allowed to watch it because in 2014 I wasn't an adult and I think that was an R-rated film. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, 2013, we have Argo. Another movie that I caught glimpses of, but Mm -hmm. never. What do you think of this one? I it was boring. That's why I didn't watch it. But I was also 13 when this came out. 14, so I don't know if my taste in movies has changed. Yeah, 2013. I think I was. 15 around then um but Argo is one I have seen Argo I don't remember what it was running against that year but I do remember enjoying Argo it's one that I've seen I think I've only seen half of it since the initial time I watched it leading up to that Oscars but yeah I think it especially towards the third act really nails suspense even though it's based on a true story and you know the outcome so I can give it that 2012, we have The Artist. I haven't seen it, and I don't, I can't really think, picture it. So, I'm gonna look it the, up. Artist, the Artist was a black and white silent film. Oh, I remember it. I never watched yeah, it, it, but I remember it winning. Yes, I remember it winning as well. I remember the discussion around it, sort of when it was in theaters, and... It's not one I saw. I think at the time, it's not something I found interesting. But uh, today, honestly, it's it kind of seems like something I might want to revisit at one point just to see what direction that crew and story took, I guess. I, pr- I don't like black and white movies because color is one of my favorite visual aspects. Mm-hmm. So with film, I find myself getting really bored when it's in black and white. But I, yeah, I think feel like I should definitely give it a chance. It's just that's my feelings about black and white films. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a fair thing, honestly, um, to bring up, especially compared to the types of movies that grab you and grab your attention. I think what the artist did, that like the choice to make it a silent film in 2012, is kind of interesting, and I think. From that angle, that's sort of what I'm more interested in than what they would be doing visually, personally. But 2011, we've reached the end. The King's Speech. I've seen it. I watched it when I was, like, 11 (laughs) with my parents. And I really liked it a lot, probably because of all the cussing. (laughs) Yeah, this this is one that I haven't seen, and... It's uh, it's actually, I think this is one of the first times I remember hearing about the Oscars that year. Yeah, I, I would recommend watching it, honestly. Uh, now that we've made it through that, you listeners probably have a better sense of where our attention was over the past decade when it comes to film. So now that we've gotten past that, now that the expectation is set for the types of things you can expect us to bring up, because honestly, 
going through that, the fact that both of us have some clear blind spots with the popular choices, I think we're going to have some interesting picks for the rest of the show. What we're getting into now, of course, for the main portion of this episode of You Masterclass is uh, just talking about movies that we like a lot. Uh, We have a variety of different topics to bring up, some questions we can answer, um, just about our opinions on movies, how we view movies sort of as a ritual. And uh, I think the best way to kick it off is just talking about listing three movies that we both really love. Eleanor, where would you like to go first? Sure. Um, okay. Favorite movie of all time is Good Burger. Um, I think it's 98 or 99, um, Keenan and Cal, um, mm-hmm. Nickelodeon movie. Um, yeah, my... Okay, so should I just name the three right now? Or... You can... Because I can first. <laughs> first off, yeah. If you could see my face right now, when you said Good Burger, I was elated. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess if you want, you can go into depth a little bit about just like your experience with it, why it is your favorite of all time. If there's a specific aspect, like, do you remember the first time you watched it? Do you think there's um, nostalgic qualities around it that make it so dear to you or yeah within the film itself it's i've i have it on dvd right now in my where Mm -hmm. i am in quarantine and uh, i haven't cracked it open yet i watch good burger twice a year um and have been doing this for at least the past five years um and i've had it since i was a kid because my sister was born in 94 so she was like a 90s kid and had Mm -hmm. like cool nickelodeon stuff that was passed on to me so it definitely is nostalgic. Like, I remember watching it so many times with my friends, with my family. Um, one time I brought it on the last day of seventh grade for the class movie to watch, and I made everyone watch Good Burger. And a lot of people were really upset that Good Burger won, like, the competition for, like, because, like, someone else wanted to watch Twilight. And um, oh. we watched Good Burger instead. Um, but everyone, like, loved it. Like, it was a hit. So <laughs> that was an exciting moment in my life surrounding Good Burger. Um yeah and also it's just the most beautiful movie i've ever seen (laughs) that's why i love it also well like visually it's just the colors are amazing it's like well the good burger restaurant itself is like light blue and white tiling which to me i just i don't know i love it and um i think it's inspired a lot of my art to be honest like when i was in high school i used to take photos of like gross food and a mm-hmm. lot of the time I'd use, like, hamburger buns as, like, props in my photos. And I think it was definitely inspired by Good Burger. Just, like, the fast food aesthetic, I guess, really resonates yeah. with me. Um, yeah, there's a... I think the thing that stands out most to me with Good Burger is the scene where um, uh, Ed delivers a Good Burger to, I think, Shaq? Yeah. And pulls a <laughs> tomato out of his shirt pocket. Yeah. <laughs> And it, like, makes a squeaky sound effect. Yeah. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. it's, there's some, yeah, but it's a little bit unsettling. It's like a fast food Mm -hmm. restaurant, but Ed is in the milkshake machine that's, like, this beautiful bright pink color. And um, it's, like, gross, though, because he's just in it and, like, is serving it to people and stuff. And then there's the guy that um, flips the hamburgers that, uh, kills a fly with his spatula, which is just like disgusting. And I don't know. I guess I really like things that are both gross and beautiful. And Good Burger is the mm-hmm. perfect mix of both. And also, it's really funny. I laugh all the way through. I don't know. Their timing and just everything is so good. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I can totally back up that choice. So, uh, what's your next one? 13 going on 30. <laughs> Okay. Do you know this one? I'm aware of it. I haven't seen it, though. Okay. It's uh, Jennifer Garner and Mark Ruffalo, um, like, early 2000s, like, rom-com about, like, a 13-year-old girl, a moody teenager, and is, like, hating everything. So she's, like, reading this magazine about, like, being a 30-year-old that's thriving in your career, and she, like, gets this magic dust and wishes she's a 30-year-old, and she becomes a 30-year-old, which is Jennifer Garner. And then it's, like, a love story between her and her childhood best friend. It's just really cute. (laughs) 
and it takes place <laughs> yeah, in New York nice. City, and it's also really funny, and um, I don't know, it's more, it's very nostalgic to me, and the first time I watched it when I was when I was like 12, so I was like around the age of the girl in it, so that's probably why I also really enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting pick because I feel like there's an era of film. Was this like early two thousands? Do you think? Yeah, for sure. I'll okay. look up what year. I, I feel like there's an era of film that's specifically going for this kind of style that you're talking about in terms of the wonderment behind it and looking back at like childhood through different lenses. In that way, um, Big is another one that comes to mind. Um, Life Size with Tyra Banks. That's oh my another god, one that's I love kind of... Life Size. <laughs> yeah, it's it's giving me that kind of vibe. It is. About it's it. very much like um, so. It's two thousand four. Just the style in it is really interesting because it's early two thousands fashion, which is also uh, was a very weird time for fashion. And Jennifer Garner has some of the most like hideous outfits. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes it entertaining. <laughs> yeah, and and hearing about it, I guess, with the those other contemporaries that sort of go for the same thing, it just kind of reminds you of just a different era for movies like that. Yeah, yeah. and this was also, like, when I was a kid, because I was mm-hmm. born in 99, so I was, like, five in 2004, mm-hmm. and that's, mm-hmm. like, kind of people's um, probably happiest time in their life, time, nostalgia yeah. time, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let's hear number three then. Okay, I have to think. If you want me to give some of mine, yeah, you should give some of yours because I should definitely think about a good third one. Okay, Uh, I honestly, I'm I'm a little worried because I don't know if I can top those choices. (laughs) (laughs) Um, First up, though, uh, definitely something that was that hit at a formative time for me in terms of what kind of industry I wanted to go into. Um, Christopher Nolan's Inception, um, and I know it's a Nolan movie, you know, there's, I feel like there's an automatic, I don't know if I should have led with this, that's what I'm trying to say. I've never but, seen it, so. Okay, Which is so wild, in, I know, <laughs> that I definitely should have seen Inception by now. Inception, I think, is my favorite Nolan film because there is a nostalgia there for me, like, I remember the first time I saw it, and... It has an abrupt sort of ending that leaves people questioning things. And I remember someone in the audience when I was there stood up and screamed uh, an expletive at the screen (laughs) once it ended. Um, And I think that just speaks to the level of investment that he can get in a fantasy world that feels so grounded in its rules and reality. Because the main, I guess, gimmick with Inception is that it's about... Uh, dream thieves and people who plan an elaborate heist going through the different levels of someone's subconscious to have a big corporate shakeup in the real world. Tons. Of, I feel like you probably actually really like what he does visually with the film because centering it and framing it around dreams, he really does play with reality in an interesting way. Like. Uh, long city streets will fold over on themselves so you have cars in the, um, in the sky and on the ground at the same time and um, visual paradoxes that shouldn't work and they can work because in dreams every nothing is like theoretical stuff works in dreams so he has a lot of fun with that and I think it's visually striking and very impressive and that was one of my favorite things about it when I first saw it yeah I I definitely need to check it out. I feel so bad about... I ha- What year did that come out? I think like, that was 2011 or 2010. I can double yeah, check. Yeah, so I've had like 10 years to try to watch it. And I've, ha- I've been recommended it like multiple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was 2010. So that was a decade ago this summer. Wow. <laughs> I guess another one I can shout out to that I really enjoy. Uh, one I revisited recently, actually is Ratatouille from Pixar. I have that on DVD. Um, well, it's actually my roommate's, but I was look- I, when I was thinking of trying to think of my third favorite, I was looking and I saw Ratatouille, but I've only seen it once, so I can't call it a favorite. Mm-hmm. Ratatouille yeah. is one I saw, I believe, when it released, and 
probably like one or two other times since then, but looking back at it about like two months ago now, it's just a really beautiful film in its message, in its honestly visual style, and it's kind of romanticizing of Paris. And I know it's interesting to say romanticizing Paris because film loves doing that. Um, it's not a unique thing that only this movie does, but doing it in an animated style and focusing on the aspect of food in Paris, I, I really enjoy as someone who loves cooking. So It's also kind of see, in a gross way because it's through a rat, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of funny about it. It's, it's a rat that's his dream is to no longer eat garbage and become a master chef. And oh. the, uh, because of some crazy logic with being able to control um, the, the movements of a dish boy, Remy, the mouse, the rat is able to, I guess, prove himself and show he has skills. And the, the main message of the film is that your history, your family, your, your lot in life does not determine what you can achieve. And while that's questionable in the actual practice in real life, I do think the message is very heartfelt and um, it's very feel-good. I think I have a third one. Okay. Now. You want to hit me with it? A Spirited Away. Okay. Or Kiki's Delivery Service, because usually I prefer Kiki's Delivery Service, but today I am feeling Spirited Away as my third favorite. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Both me as You're talking films. about color. Yeah, you're talking about colors a lot. Those films have a very nice uh, color palette to them. Yes. Very, very beautiful movies. Well, Spirited Away, so out of the two, has a more darker tone, where Kiki's Delivery Service is just throughout um, very cute um, and peaceful, like a lot of landscapes and stuff, whereas Spirited Away has like more dark aspects because like she's trapped, you know, and everything has the whole thing is that she's like in a spirit realm, so everything has a little creepy... Um, feeling to it which I enjoy in movies I guess it's more of a horror film than Keep Delivery Service <laughs> yeah yeah do, do, does it like present it that way do you think or is it just like if you think about what's actually being portrayed on screen it becomes creepy I think it is creepy just because like the whole thing is this little girl gets um separated from her parents because they turn into pigs because they eat mysterious street food that was like left out and she is pretty much told you're must work at this place for the rest of your life or you're gonna die like she's trapped mm -hmm. at, at the spirit bathhouse and um is ruled by like this witch lady um so it is definitely like a scary film and I remember as a kid um my cousins wouldn't watch it because it was too scary so I guess it was kind of presented to me as something that was scary um yeah, but it's also animated and a children's film. So if you're, it's not actually like a super scary movie, I guess, mm -hmm. but has those undertones. Um, and the characters in it are like really, really scary. Like the main character, No Face or Kaonashi is just a mask that has a very scary face on it. Like it's just an expressionless face. And at one point he turns into like a trash monster that's... Um, like vomiting everywhere <laughs> and like it's a very disturbing image but it's animated in a Miyazaki style so yeah well yeah uh, definitely in line I think with basically your tastes that you've been talking about so far yeah uh, and I have I have seen Spirit Away and it is an incredible film and I can highly recommend it with you for my number three pick um I'm I'm debating whether to go for nostalgia or actual analysis here i will quickly shout out the nostalgia pick uh guardians of the galaxy one sort of came out at an amazing time for me in terms of its style uh it was so refreshing within that genre of stark white and black sci-fi and um it, it kind of gave me feelings of what i assumed 
people who saw Star Wars for the first time felt because they presented space in a way that was so unique and it was insanely colorful and everything felt lived in, things were dirty, it felt like everything had a tactfulness to it. And on top of that, it's I think it's really funny and it's a fun time. I, I guess for my final pick here, I will shout out Arrival. <laughs> kind of the opposite of what I was just talking about. Uh, have you seen Arrival? Yeah, so I just watched it for the class I'm in, the alien film oh. class. Um, that was our, the nice. first movie we watched, actually. That's the one that's uh, about linguistics, kind of, right? Yeah, okay. so what, what, did, what did you think about Arrival? I liked it. It was a little mm-hmm. slow for me, um, just because it's not my personal type of movie, but I liked it. Like, I enjoyed watching it and gave it a good review, like, for when I had to write it Mm -hmm. about it. Um, Yeah, and I really, I just took linguistics the semester before, so it was also interesting to me since I had, like, a little bit of background in that where I could try and understand what they were trying to do, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, not actually, but, like, it gave some context to the plot of the movie for me. Yeah, I think why I love Arrival so much is that if a movie makes, like, a case for itself for feeling slow and methodical, I will eat it up. And I think Arrival did that in this mystery they present early on with sort of space-time, I guess. They do it very subtly at the throughout the beginning of the film, and it obviously comes into the plot uh very strongly by the end but seeing a quote-unquote alien invasion film i guess where the main means of plot progression is just trying to talk with the other i think it just stood out to me like it stood apart from other alien invasion like contemporary Alien Invasion films like District 9, I guess, or... Which I did not um, like District 9 at all. I also watched that for my Alien class. Yeah. Well, like, personally, like just... I don't know. Just because it was more of, like, a war movie kind of vibe, which mm-hmm. um, I don't... Like, I definitely preferred Arrival to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just... Similar to, I guess, what I liked about Guardians being refreshing for a sci-fi film... Um, I guess more science fantasy with a rival in the sci-fi genre. What I, what you just said about district nine being a war film. Like I feel like sci-fi alien films have such a strong like connotation to being about trying to kill all the aliens, you know? Yeah. And I, I don't like that. I like that the rival aliens are like nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like there's definitely, (laughs) don't get me wrong. I like, like a kick-ass alien invasion movie sometimes, but Arrival was just so refreshing in that it kind of elevated that genre to a more, let's think about the actual implications of everything happening in this world and look at it that way. Yeah. Do you you have a favorite alien war movie? Like, or alien, like, more, um, I don't know, like you were saying, one that's a little more (laughs) kick-ass. Like, obviously, Aliens is good. Mm-hmm. I like Aliens. Um, That's the second but, one. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet, but I've. my dad is a huge fan of the second Alien, the Aliens, mm-hmm. and um, has been trying to get me to watch it, so I definitely need to check it out. Yeah, Aliens is good. Like, as a sequel, it's very different from Alien, mm-hmm. but... Um, it's more of a horror movie, I, right? Like, well, oh, Alien is... The one that stands as a horror movie. This one's more action. Oh, action. Okay. But yeah. it's like more fighting um, aliens than just the one that was aboard yeah. the ship. Okay. Mm-hmm. But a more recent one, I think, that is kind of going on for the kick-ass alien movie is... Um, I think there's some things to actually genuinely appreciate about James Cameron's Avatar. I saw it once in theaters mm-hmm. when it came out yeah so yeah yeah I, I re-watched it last summer and I think in hindsight of what the past decade of film was it predicted a lot of trends and tropes and does some interesting things I think bare bones it is like 
yeah, it's Fern Gully as aliens, but uh, I, I think it's a fun time. And it, my go-to, it is long, but my go-to for an alien like action movie might be alien, uh, Avatar. But what about you? Um, <laughs> Jimmy Neutron. Have you seen the Jimmy Neutron movie? I have, yes. With the those aliens are my favorite just because even though that's like that's a kids movie. I don't know what I don't think I like any other alien. Well, I haven't seen Aliens, so that might be my favorite one, but um I usually get really scared during like movies that are super action-packed with like killing and stuff. Like it's like kind of overwhelming. So mm-hmm. that's that's why I didn't like District 9. Like it was hard watching the aliens get shot just cuz I thought they were cute. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but Jimmy Neutron is a good one where um, all the parents get abducted. And um, it's more of a nostalgic movie, and I haven't seen it since I was a kid. But the aliens are really funny in it. They're like mm-hmm. loose, like goo that's stored in glass containers with like a brain. Yeah. yeah. So with that movie, I think, and some of your other picks, like, do you think you can narrow down one or like a couple aspects that make a movie stand out to you yeah it's definitely they have to be funny a little bit um a little bit kind of um like all of them have well besides 13 going on 30 is an outlier for this but they all have like kind of like gross like gory aspects too like i definitely like that kind of stuff in movies like slimes and goos and just like special effects, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. I've noticed like, yeah, I really like textures on screen and stuff and like um, just bright colors too. I feel like all those movies have. Um, Yeah, I'm definitely attracted to set, costume, um, that kind of visual stuff, which I guess in the film world you would call, like, the mise-en-scene. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's usually what I'm paying attention to. And it's also usually, I guess, like, supernatural kind of aspects, too, mm-hmm. in a lot of those movies. Not Good Burger, though. Good Burger is just... <laughs> but it is, like, a lot of points have, like, surreal aspects, you know? Like, there's, like, dream sequences. Yeah, I, I think... I'm, I sort of fall in a similar line of the things that grab me when I watch a film. Like, less for me, I think about the mise-en-scene, but more about the cinematography, but still very visual. If, like, the, the action on screen, not, like, explosion action, but just what's happening moment to moment, if it, if it stands out, if it's, like, framed well, uh, I always appreciate when... Uh, filmmakers try to highlight what's going on in each scene through their framing, whether it be like trees or buildings. I think that makes a film visually striking to me and makes me even more attentive to the actual action of what's occurring. Um, And I, I kind of have a preference. This is something that came to me through my classes of uh like learning about film at the university it to me it makes a world of a difference if something is shot on film versus digital i i know that it's like hard to pick up sometimes on the difference between the two but if you look into it i do think that that shooting on film does give you like a tactfulness to a lot of what you see i i'm not at that level yet where i'm noticing that but I definitely feel like I prefer things that have um that aren't so crisp like I don't like a lot of new movies because they're so crisp and to me it's just like not visually interesting because it just feels like I'm in the real world I guess I don't know like I like kind of having a veil over the what I'm seeing on the screen and usually like I like when there's um grain in it like a good burger definitely like has a graininess to it that is interesting um i feel like which i wonder if that that was do you think that was sean film if it was in the 90s yeah that's it probably was it's like maybe on the cusp but i don't know what nickelodeon's budget was like in the the mid 90s (laughs) so um but yeah i am 
again, just like starting to become interested in film. Um, so I am no expert on like the difference, but mm. I can definitely understand why you feel that way. Yeah. And it's never like a deal breaker for me. It's always just like a nice little cherry on top for the, the enjoyment factor. Listeners may, I think by now know what our tastes are like. So maybe you find yourself very interested in Eleanor's picks or maybe you agree with both of ours or are hearing new film recommendations. So in that case, I think you should check out all of the things we've said so far, but is there a specific movie that you find yourself recommending to people to watch or one that you want to just put out there right now of one you think more people should see? Can you get back to me on that? If sure. Maybe yeah. you have one. Cause I have to think about that now. <laughs> I want to have yeah. a good one. Yeah. Um, I think obviously the ones that I've brought up so far are worth seeing. Um, Moonlight is another one that I do think while it did win best picture and sort of gave it a boost because of the whole La La Land, no wait, it was Moonlight, uh, headline that came along with that Oscar ceremony. I do think it's one that a lot of people should see because it is a coming of age story and, it's a coming-of-age story that doesn't feature a white person, you know? And a friend of the show, Annie Porter, who is also in a class with Daniel and I, she is doing a video essay sort of analyzing the the trends of coming-of-age films where, like, looking at it from a more uh, sociopolitical standpoint, where... Most of them, if not all the mainstream ones, are about uh, lower to upper middle class white people. And Moonlight is a story that I don't know, but I could relate to and sympathize with. And it's a visually stunning, beautiful film that I do think, if you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth seeing. Yeah, I definitely need to check that one out. I think I have one. Harry Potter. Okay. Is Any specific of, one or... The second one. Um, one of my other favorite movies is Chamber of Secrets. Mm-hmm. Kind of like nostalgic movie. That would be good, especially to watch like right now because it's like a fantasy. Um, like definitely takes you to a completely different world. And yeah, that's my favorite like fantasy movie. And also actually uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is another one of my favorite movies that doesn't really align yeah. with my other ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Ferris Bueller is a good one. I think both of those are solid picks, especially for what's going on right now, you know? Yeah. Um, but what is it about both of those? Is it mainly just the, the atmosphere of them, the themes, like what strikes out to you? Chamber of Secrets to me is the best Harry Potter movie because I'm a big Harry Potter fan. It's not my favorite book in the series, but it's my favorite movie because it still has the warm aspects that the first movie has where, like, they're going to Hogwarts and everything's kind of happy and bright and warm. And, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know, there's... The magic in this movie is, like, very different than the later movies where everything gets kind of cold and um, gross. And the third movie is where it makes that switch to they started using... A cooler filter on it rather than a warm filter over the film mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure and um, yeah I like that it has that warmth but it's also really dark and scary and like there's a snake that's going around the school paralyzing kids and there's blood written on the walls and yeah. like I don't know. I I guess it has that mix of being like really sweet and like a warm movie, but also having like some scary aspects, but also it's extremely nostalgic. And also Dobby is like my favorite Harry <laughs> Potter character. Yeah, um, he's great. Yeah, Dobby's adorable. All the things you're saying about Chamber of Secrets, I totally agree with. Like, it's funny because whenever Harry Potter's on TV, it's always like all of them, but... Chamber of Secrets for like in my memory kind of blends together with the first one and it is because of what you're talking about with um, the very warm feeling and the way they sort of adapt that story in that world where 
three is so drastically different that thinking back to the films, it's a clear division for me where it's not as simple with one and two. Also, I think those are the two with the original Dumbledore. Um, who then died, yeah. unfortunately. Yep. But um, he also has a, a kinder um, like essence than the later one, who I think is the guy who plays Gandalf, is the later Dumbledore. I don't different know actor. Oh, it's a different actor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Richard Harris was the first Dumbledore. Okay. Um, Michael Gambon was the second. And uh, Ian McKellen is uh, Gandalf. Okay. So sorry, my bad. But, they look the same. <laughs> no, yeah, they definitely went more for the the old gray wizard with yeah. the second Dumbledore for sure. Sort of wrapping up, we did touch on the the state of things right now, and I think the movies you recommended are timely because they are feel good, they are nostalgic, and I've from conversations I've had with people, we did touch on this a little earlier with quarantine with. Uh, self-isolation going on right now a lot of things are changing and one of those things is the film industry and we were originally going to bring up a movie we were looking forward to this year but the slate for the rest of this year is highly questionable about things coming out when so because there is sort of a drought when it comes to new movies and going to a theater like how do you find yourself adapting to that? Like, are you mostly looking back like we've talked about or how are you watching movies now? How has that changed? If at all, like where's your head at? I don't really know about movies until they're advertised to me, which is bad. I should be like looking at the list of releases every year, I guess, and seeing which ones I'm looking forward to. But the movie, I did see one movie in theaters this year, um, which was Harley Quinn. (laughs) I saw that too. Because yeah. I love Doja Cat and she was like big around the marketing of it because her song was used and um, mm-hmm. it's just like kind of a riot girl movie. It was really entertaining and a feel good mm-hmm. movie. So I recommend watching that if you haven't already. In terms of like looking forward to things, I am looking forward towards like more YouTube videos, I guess, or like music videos that I know are coming out, um, mm-hmm. which those aren't movies, but they're forms of film i guess so yeah yeah Um, i i I think that's worth bringing up as well just because especially with the things we've been talking about the the visual aspect there is so many different applications to it um so yeah is there any specific music video you want to shout out um well my favorite band's the garden and they just released a new album in march um and they released their music video for Clinch to Stay Awake. The songs on the album are really intense, and I'm really excited to see what they have coming out for their other songs, because usually they release, like, four music videos per album, um, mm-hmm. just because they're a very, like, visual music group, I guess. That's why I enjoy them a lot, because um, along with, like, their music come, like, aesthetics and stuff, and um, just, like, their outfits and everything they put into it is, like, really cohesive, and it's kind of like they are... I don't know, they're more than just musicians in that they're, like, creating. So, yeah, uh, digital seems like it's the place to be right now, you know? Like, you mentioned YouTube, um, creators, artists that use the medium to express their art. And I've talked with friends. I don't normally go to the theater a lot. Like, I'll go for something that I've been looking forward to for a while, Um but if it's something that I just get recommended to me or if it's something that I was like kind of interested in but didn't feel like going out of my way to go see, I'll just wait until I can watch it at home. Um, but right now, specifically, like when I have been looking to film or movies or any sort of visual content, it's definitely been either YouTube or Disney Plus or Netflix. That's basically been how I've been getting through the past few weeks and what's going to be the next few months. Uh, This has been a very enjoyable conversation, on my end at least. Uh, Thank you again for joining me for this first episode, Eleanor. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, before we wrap up, is there anything we didn't cover that you want to shout out? Any movies, any projects, anything like that that you want to shine some light to? Um, yeah, I think if you haven't um, watched the series before, it might make your quarantine time the best ever. Um, Nathan For You is my all-time favorite TV show, and it's available on Hulu, the entire series. Um, yeah. That's my shout out. <laughs> I just, awesome. it's the funniest thing in the entire world. Um, Comedy mm-hmm. Central show. Have you seen it? I've seen episodes. I haven't seen all of it though. I definitely recommend watching the entire thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that is going to do it for episode one of You Master Class. I hope listeners, you have enjoyed uh, the pilot for what is going to be the future of UMass's Film Studies podcast, which uh, is going to be continuing in the fall after this first batch of episodes and uh you may see eleanor return again thank you for listening thank you for joining us and please reach out uh if you have any suggestions any films you've been watching or anything that you watched that we recommended and thought of we are going to have a email address that you can shout out the show on send your reader mail or listener mail to i guess um which will be posted alongside all the episodes of the first season of you masterclass but that is going to do it until next time uh go watch something new like watch something you haven't seen before maybe it's something we recommended or just take a chance on something but you've been listening to you masterclass the official film studies podcast for umass amherst I've been your host, Christian Buckley, and if you've enjoyed this episode of the show, please consider subscribing to our podcast feed where you can find previous episodes and future episodes led by my co-host from episode one, Eleanor Rose. You can check out our website, which is linked in our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may be listening. Special thank you to Corey Shia for our wonderful podcast intro and outro. But... Until next time, thank you for listening, and go watch something new.